also say a toe to so. You know what? A toe to so. A fucking a toe to so. Welcome back to this episode of The Bottleman. It is myself and Dan. Hello. And uh, we are today talking to uh, to journalist and historian Kai Nagata. And we're going to be talking all about, um, well, uh, well, I'd say a good, a good many things. Um, it's sort of in a bit of a continuation uh, from the subject of our last bonus episode on representations of residential schools. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the, uh, you might call it uh, uh, the land defenders, uh, indigenous land defenders, um, who are working to make sure uh, that their rights are not continued to be trampled upon uh, by the Canadian government and the mining companies that it represents. So, uh, Kai, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, thank you for the flattering intro. I'm a, I'm a former journalist uh, and, uh, you know, not, not much of a historian, but um, my family's lived through uh, over 100 years of uh, this shit happening in BC and um, had a front seat for, for a lot of our uh, most disgusting episodes of um, uh, racism and colonialism. So I feel like I have some, some qualifications to talk about this stuff. Indeed. Uh, and there, there are a few, a few sort of news items, I think, sort of to touch on before we get into it. Um, number one, uh, the uh, congratulations to the uh, Ryerson University Conservative Club <laughs> yes. on their acquisition of a uh, new statue, apparently, because uh, Ed- Edgerton Ryerson, the uh, progenitor of the... Um, uh, 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 well, one of the main progenitors of the residential school movement, and also uh, the founder of a university in the mall, uh, has had his statue torn down, down, down. Bye bye. And he looks like shit, shit, shit. Um, of Bonk. course, Bonk. some of the uh, some you know some like like briefcase guys uh, who wear a suit to like you know university class because like a, an Instagram told them it made them classy. Um, they're sort of getting mad about it and they're like, we want the statue. Mm-hmm. Give us the statue. And the question is, what do they want it for? What do, what do conservative clubs usually do with uh, stuff like that? You know, They jack well, off in the mouth, right? Is that it, not the... Yeah, that's that's, that's you, the main that's thing. Correct. I'm yes. sorry, were you trying to be subtle? Um, no, no. Yeah, oh, yeah no, the, the, subtlety is not what we do no. here. These are the success mindset guys, right? These are the, the campus... Yep. Um, Wearing a suit in June, guys. Yes. Yeah. What else are they going to do with it? Yeah. Well, I, usually, I think sort of conservative clubs when they get a thing, a notable thing, usually either <laughs> fuck it or drink out of yeah. it, or both. Sometimes um, both. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm, I mean, look, congratulations to those guys um, on making. On, I guess they can now found a, a skull and bones, the world's first version of skull and bones that's based in a mall. Um, so I'm, I'm, congratulations to to the Ryerson University I, Conservative Club. I support this club's uh, attempt to uh, decolonize um, secret society jack off sessions. You know, <laughs> um, and you know, and also they can do it beside uh, a, a Sears, uh, I believe, a Best Buy, and uh, you know, uh, maybe like a Claire's accessories. Um, this is where the next generation of uh, CSIS spooks are going to come from, of course. So just to round this out, uh, Edgerton Ryerson, you are the uh, Bottleman uh, Donkey of the Week. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> Eon. Eon, sir. Eon, indeed. Um, and uh, also, uh, Dan, you said that there is some, uh, from, some of the goings-on at uh, Fairy Creek, which we're going to talk about in greater detail. Um, you said that there is a, a, something has... Something has occurred there, sort of was semi-viral on the internet, and you have some intel about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this isn't exactly connected to Fairy Creek, but it is about um, logging on the island. Um, basically, there was a there was a viral, fo- I think it was a Facebook post that turned into a tweet. Um, this uh, woman, Lorna Beercroft, uh took a photo of a logging truck on the island highway carrying a massive 
uh, Sitka spruce. And, and this is just a giant old growth tree um, estimated, I think, to be about two or three thousand years old. Kai, I don't know if you. Yeah, it looks it looks yeah. like a brontosaurus torso. Just yeah, like it's fucking enormous full of, uh, arrows and dragged over logs. Yeah, it's so, uh, it's a huge carcass. Yeah. 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 So I was um, I was talking to my dad uh, last night who lives in Couch and Lake where I grew up and he he was like, do you know where the wood for the log is going? And I said, no. And he told me that it is going to uh, Acoustic Woods, which is a company in Port Alberni that uh, makes acoustic guitars. (laughs) And I was it's just fucking miserable to think about. Okay, imagine. 3,000 years ago, a seed, a Sitka, a Sitka seed uh, falls into the, into, the, into, the, into the rich, loamy soil, and a sprout comes up. It survives frost, rain, um, whatever herbivores are grazing and would like to eat a tasty Sitka sprout, you know? And it grows and it grows. It survives literally millennia, and the end point of its, uh, of its life cycle is just hanging in some fucking lawyer's office, you know, <laughs> who's, well, I don't play guitar, but, yeah. um, I can imagine there's probably guys who would be more likely to buy that guitar if they knew that it was the carcass of, uh, this monumental spruce tree. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's guys, I'm sure mm. the Trump brothers, I'm sure there's guys who, uh, you know, the, I, the same guys who like to stand over an elephant with a bazooka yeah, exactly. would, uh, would be happy to hang that on their wall. Dan and I were talking about this earlier, and I got kind of a very clear mental vision of uh, Kevin Spacey's barefoot Hollywood lawyer sort of <laughs> absentmindedly just sort of plucking at this guitar that he doesn't actually know how to play mm-hmm. uh, while telling Spacey that his career in film is back. Yes. Leaving that yeah. is better than toilet paper or wood pellets or... Um, mm. I mean... BC is selling old growth trees right now to be ground up and burned for electricity because of the the subsidies in Japan and other countries for replacing coal. Right. Um, that's what they're doing is grinding it up into wood pellets. The the economics have been distorted by these quote unquote green energy subsidies in, in Europe and Asia. And so, yeah, um, sadly, some of these trees are not even getting to be Kevin Spacey lawyer guitars they're uh they're They're just being burned they're providing electricity 120 megabytes of a hentai download somewhere in uh Mm -hmm. a tiny fraction of a bitcoin yeah exactly this look the nft market needs to burn these old growth forests in order to make sure that everyone knows which jpeg i own Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know that's where we're at yeah 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 and and i mean i I just want to say like having having grown up like in the woods around uh around trees like this like each of these trees provides it's not just you know like a a carbon like a you know the lungs of the world it's it's also each one of these things is a very complex gigantic ecosystem in and of itself so which is connected to all of the other trees around it i mean that's not to be like <clears throat> super whatever but um no we're going to go know, there if you touch one of these trees <laughs> you are, you know, you're touching this like web of consciousness, right? There's all of these trees are communicating with each other and sharing nutrients via fungal webs in between their roots. And yeah, like you take one of those things out and, um, you know, you're amputating um, part of a, of a giant networked organism. It's uh, you really have to turn off a part of your brain in order to, to be able to rationalize something like that for, you know, for a few thousand bucks. I mean, the, the street value or the the value at the mill of that giant Sitka spruce was, you know, maybe 30,000 bucks. Um, Mm -hmm. And to, (laughs) even with lumber prices where they are, like um, to say that the life of this ancient being that's been there since far before Canada was founded, far before Europeans ever set foot on these shores, uh, you know, that that's worth killing for, you know, the price of a decent sedan is like, I don't know. It just well, seems it's like only, um, it's, totally I mean, to be to contextualize it, it's only a worth a fraction of the Grimes NFT. So, <laughs> <laughs> but so um, I think what this is this is I think sort of Im- important, right? Because the I think well, it, it's worth saying right up front, right? That like 
if humanity wants to stay on as a going concern in kind of the way that it is now, or at least in a way that's roughly comparable, like maybe minus NFTs or whatever, but in a way that's roughly comparable, basically all of the oil and the trees that are currently in the ground have to stay in the ground. Mm -hmm. And Canada is, as we've discussed in this program many times before, an entire... It's it, it is a it is an organization that's shaped like a country mm-hmm. that is exists to make sure that all of that oil and all those trees and all that nickel uh, comes up out of the ground and then gets turned into um, an NFT or whatever. Um, and I think one of the things that is sort of is really <laughs> worth talking about is it's worth focusing. I think a lot of energy on. Who are the people who are on the front lines of making sure that, of making sure this doesn't happen? And not even necessarily out of some kind of um, sort of broad sense of altruism, mm-hmm. but rather just defending their actual rights to their land. Mm-hmm. And it is the and it is and it's it's the case in in Canada and different parts of Canada, but it's also the case in like Brazil uh, as well. It's, it's this is not just a Canadian phenomenon, mm-hmm. but. Uh, over and over, we see like the people who are on the front lines actually trying to keep the trees in the ground and keep the oil from being taken and then moved across uh, the country are um, indigenous people protecting their uh, rights to especially their unceded treaty lands, right? Yeah, I think it's worth going back to the the founding of, um, well, British Columbia is where I live and that's that's maybe where I'll base my my comments from, but BC is a unique case, right? It wasn't part of uh, Canada at Confederation, um, and it was founded as its own crown colony um, going back to 1849. That's when Vancouver Island was uh, was seized or claimed by the, uh, the British Empire. And, um, you know, talking about something that is shaped like a country, but which exists to fulfill corporate aims, uh, British Columbia, you know, the first governor quit in protest after he was sent over from England and realized that his role was entirely symbolic, that the entire colony was run by the Hudson's Bay Corporation, Mm -hmm. which had a monopoly interest. um, In fact, had a monopoly on the entire island uh, where Dan grew up uh, for the price of seven shillings a year. So I don't know, Riley, you could do the conversion. I I don't know, (laughs) shillings and pounds, but um, seems low to me uh, for, for an island, uh, uh, that contains the riches that uh, the Vancouver Island did, and um, when when it's like a meal at Victorian um, Earls, uh, yeah, we call it the <laughs> yeah, uh, Empress Hotel. It's um, it's like yeah. several uh, crustless cucumber sandwiches uh, stacked on top of one another. That's but, right um, in the in the Bengal room. Hmm. Well, speaking of Bengals, I mean the British East India Company kind of set the template, right? And the Hudson's mm-hmm. Bay Corporation had a very similar role on the West Coast where they had their own gunships, they had their own militia, you know, they had monopoly on force and they could kill people uh, or bomb their villages. And they often did in order to maintain their trade monopoly. And that is the corporation that ran the colony with the symbolic veneer of, uh, of governance from, from England. And so Richard Blanchard, who was the first governor, quit in protest. Uh, and so they replaced him with the chief executive for the Hudson's Bay Company. And so the guy that we think of as sort of like the father of British Columbia was playing both roles simultaneously as the chief factor for the HBC and the governor of the colony. And that is the origin of BC. And I think it makes it really explicit what this place is all about and whose interests take precedence. I mean, that that is basically like the definition of, of a deep state, right? It's a It was a yeah. corporate colony from the very beginning. And my argument is that not much has changed despite the, yeah, the cosmetic yeah. evolution of our of our political system i mean i'm, I'm sure like i've they, like one of the best examples of this i think is that the bc forestry commission is essentially just the ceos of different logging companies mm-hmm. who are making rules that they can then follow yeah and the bc oil and gas commission is entirely funded by oil and gas companies uh yeah <laughs> yeah this is not buried very deep you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to look at the the origins and current structure of the province and conclude that, yeah, I mean, the politicians that get elected every four years by a tiny shrinking fraction of the people who bother to vote 
um, have very little say in terms of what happens on the land base and whose interests are prioritized. And the yeah. one wrinkle to that over the last 50 years has been indigenous people regaining the right to hire lawyers and translating their own laws into English and advocating for their own rights within the colonial legal system and winning, uh, which has forced this kind of reckoning, um, which we are you know, still seeing the, the repercussions from today. But uh, yeah, if it weren't for uh, the fact that the British colonizers were so arrogant uh, and so racist that they didn't think they needed to sign treaties with uh, indigenous people here because they were all going to die out soon, um, you know, there wouldn't be much of a legal leg to stand on. But as it is, I mean, that, mm. that oversight um, early on has given indigenous people in this province the leverage to rebuild uh, their, their authority and take control over uh, decisions on the land base here in a way that I would argue is, is, is unique. They have more power than um, uh, indigenous groups in most other parts of the country and, and indeed around the world. So, yeah, I would say BC really is a battleground um, for this this conflict between two completely different worldviews, and it's been going on for over 150 years, and um, that is what we're living with, and that's what we're seeing symptoms of today. Yeah, and I mean, when I so when I when I was looking at sort of how because one of the, the some of the most sort of famous I think um, sort of like indigenous land defenders in BC are the uh, Wet'suwet'en uh, and also the uh, Gixan. Um, and they are, they, they sort of a lot of these, um, sort of what well, was always framed, like it was framed as a conflict. Mostly what was happening was the RCMP was coming in and, you know, um, either mass arresting or people like brutalizing people, threatening them with guns, all this. Um, but what, what I, what was happening and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there was sort of a bit of a, um, what is that the in the sort of um the the reservations these sort of in the elected um elected chiefs of the reservations were sort of would reach a, a settlement with uh, a coast the coastal gas pipe for example company um and then they would have to go through the unceded territory where they would say no we haven't approved this at all you cannot do this and then what and then what transpired was um the uh, 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 British Columbia Supreme Court enforced an injunction saying, well, no, we have this permission from this elected body, so we can go through this area. That's, as I understand it, that's what happened. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and do sort of a 30-second um, explainer on, on Crown land. I mean, I, I mentioned the Brits taking over Vancouver Island. Uh, 1858, there was a war between American mining militias and Squatmuk and Klatmuk warriors from the interior. Uh, they fought to a bloody draw over gold fields, and then the Brits rolled in after the massacres and declared the entire continent, the entire mainland, uh, part of their colony as well. So 1858 is the official founding of British Columbia as Vancouver Island and the mainland together in one colony. At that time, they claimed the entire land base as crown land. There's no documentation. There's no bill of sale. There's no There's no proof uh, that this land belongs to to. England or to the Queen, but that's what they call it today. So all of these battles over forestry and LNG pipelines and resource development, all of these are happening on what's called crown land. And that's why the crown can go and uh, send prosecutors and cops after people who are standing on that land saying, well, actually, no, this is our territory. So the reserves uh, were, were surveyed uh, in the late 1800s and then clawed back after smallpox decimated the populations. And in fact, BC took even more of the land base uh, for, for itself. And those reserves, um, you know, a colonial government structure was imposed on those populations in order to administer life on the reserves, which, you know, are basically uh, at that time, open air prisons, right? Like people needed a pass card in order to leave. They were mm -hmm. under armed guard. Um, and in the meantime, their territories where their families lived a generation earlier and, um, you know, cycled throughout the entire territory and used resources at different altitudes in different parts of the territory. All of that is being ravaged by corporations while they're pinned into a reserve. And those are the governments that uh, we now call band council governments. They answer to and are funded by the crown. Um, and they are, you know, essentially municipal governments that administer life on reserve. And I know a lot of good people who work in those governments and who run for elected office, like other politicians you know, they want to make life better for their community. This is one of the only vehicles uh, to do so. And so, you know, you have a lot of good people who are trying to good, 
do good work from the inside, but the the system is set up uh, as a no win situation. And so these um, these uh, band counselors are put in this impossible position by um, by the crown and basically offered what are called like take it or leave it deals, where mm-hmm. the resource development is going to happen anyway. And so yeah. you have a choice about whether you want to take a tiny percentage of that and sign a deal saying that you'll never criticize us ever again, or um, we can go to war. And if people don't mm-hmm. sign the deal, then the the uh, companies are told to go get an injunction, uh, and that triggers the deployment of the RCMP, which uh, used to be called the uh, the Northwest Mounted Rifles. I mean, they are originally a militia company formed to remove indigenous people from the land. And the RCMP comes in with their tactical gear and their helicopters and their drones and their dogs, and they clear people out of the way so that that um, resource extraction can happen on crown land. And so that's that's the model for uh, mining. That's the model for dams, uh, for pipelines, and for, for logging. Um, and that has been the case since 1858. Mm-hmm. And right, I think one of the one of the um, things I think to sort of highlight here as well, right, is that um, you say that they get the take it or leave it deal, which is basically like a kind of you know pro forma consultation, you know, and then but then they're able to take to take that politically and say, look, we consulted with the political structures that are there everyone is fine with this and so on. And then um, any disagreement, and so this is based on uh, research uh, at uh, uh, Ryerson University, uh, formerly of the statue, yeah. uh, now uh, bereft of statue. Uh, it's being, uh, it's the statue is now being fucked by the conservative society. Yes. Um, but has found that um, all of the injunctions ordered about pipeline construction or logging or mining or whatever, uh, 76% of uh, injunctions uh, uh, filed against uh, First Nations people are granted. So filed by a mining company or whatever against First Nations people are granted. 80% of injunctions sought by First Nations people against corporations and the government are denied. So it is basically a a system where you have a pro forma consultation that you have to take or leave. um, And then if you leave it, there is essentially a kangaroo court that says, well... Uh, we got to get the gas out of the ground uh, because, you know, Grimes could make a new NFT at any moment. And it's within and, and that needs to be there. Um, and so it's like it's um, it is it is absolutely. And, and, and as we say earlier as well, Kai, right, this is um, from the top to the bottom. The consultations being run are being run not even by anyone who has uh, a, a kind of even fig leaf interest in the lives of the people who are being consulted for because the oil and gas commission or the, um, uh, uh, the, the privatized, uh, forestry commission or whatever, it's just run by industry consultants. So industry consultants come in, give you a, you know, token sum. And then if you say no, it doesn't matter because the courts are already going to find in favor of them more or less every time anyway. Yeah. yeah uh, Sequema yeah. leader Art Manuel called it the legal billy club. The, uh, the injunction is just the backup tool if, uh, yeah, what you call the pro forma consultation doesn't work out. And I, I know people who've been referrals coordinators for their, for their nation uh, who've worked in the band office and they describe just being overwhelmed. Like the tactic is to just snow people under with so many pieces of paper um, you know, they, they will break out proposals for every single wellhead or cut block into mm-hmm. different um, PDFs and then just bombard people with, uh, you know, limited capacity to begin with, um, you know, limited staffing dollars. And then, you know, you just get this mountain of referrals on your desk and uh, and that's considered consultation. If you don't reply by a very short deadline, then you're considered to have consented by um, not objecting. So, yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's how it works on the ground. And just just as an aside, like that um, sort of uh, professionals paid by industry uh, to consult, which which uh, is known as professional reliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you you have the British Columbia Liberals to thank for that. Like this is a Liberal Party initiative under the uh, Forest and Ranch Practices Act, which was enacted in two thousand and four, I think. 
So yes, back when was... Kevin Falcon was the minister of red tape production, who uh, is now running to be leader of the BC Liberal Party again. So that will be exciting. Um, he uh, the minister of red tape production. What a fucking stupid Canadian thing to. Not even in Britain do we have something like that. <laughs> Jeez, uh, it does sound pretty, uh, pretty Boris Johnson, but no, it's. Uh, I think it's a. It may be a BC invention, or if not, an Alberta one. Um, probably brought yeah. to you by some of the same guys who were part of the Ryerson Conservative uh, clubs. You know, uh, these are the guys that tend to staff these, uh, these, uh, these politicians and the the right wing provincial parties. And 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 also let's so let's talk about what happens when the injunction is then filed. I think this is when, this is when we move sort of from land from land defense sort of just by you know ex- ex- by by these sort of pockets of unceded territory or by crown land sort of existing uh where it becomes sort of you know, politically politically active and a confrontation occurs and again we'll talk about the way the confrontations are framed um because boy are they uh, actively framed by our national broadcaster oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um but what and, and one example sort of that I want to pull up is uh, Denzel Sutherland Wilson. Uh, this is happening near Burns Lake. Several others um, were engaged in a roadblock to prevent the construction of the coastal gas link pipeline, which basically, this is like the main pipeline that was the flashpoint of sort of much of the um, reporting on sort of this phenomenon in the last year. Um, and essentially, an RCMP tactical team with like sniper rifles was uh, arrayed out in front of them. And uh, they, 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 not just that, but they also brought dogs um, and, 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 and uh, semi-automatic weapons with scopes. And what happened here was it just so happened that a camera caught one of the RCMP's tactical team uh, pointing his gun at Sutherland Wilson. Yeah, the camera was held by Denzel Sutherland Wilson. He was filming the cop mm. who was pointing the rifle at him. And, uh, you know, those are the, those are the incidents that are captured on camera. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't have to go very far talking to, to indigenous people about their experiences with the cops, whether in these sort of like confrontations over, um, resource extraction or just like going to the mall, um, you know, the, the level of force, uh, and the, just the number of injuries and deaths, um, caused by the RCMP towards indigenous people in BC is totally off the charts. And so, um, unfortunately, it's not surprising that a member of the RCMP tactical team would point a rifle at uh, at Denzel, but um, they were authorized, uh, as it came out later, by their commanders to use lethal force on that operation mm-hmm. if, uh, if they deemed it necessary. And it was only the fact that Denzel was completely unarmed and completely exposed. He was at the top of a watchtower, um, you know, holding a, a cell phone. Um, and so there was just no no way they could argue that he presented any threat to them. But uh, yeah, that kind of casual disregard for, for someone's life, um, unfortunately is like baked into the RCMP's culture and it's uh, it's part of their toolkit uh, to terrorize and demobilize people who want to stand up for their land. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that is the reality that if you, um, you know, if you push back on this machine, um, they have uh, a whole series of tactics, including, surveillance and um and countermeasures and just outright outright threats to your life uh that uh, that they're only too happy to deploy on behalf of industry uh in order mm-hmm. to um uh to force these projects through in fact they have a whole dedicated team called the community incident response group which has the same acronym as a an fbi task force uh, <laughs> a critical incident response group yeah um and uh you know they're they're basically the special forces for private industry in bc their job is mm-hmm. to chopper in uh, whenever there are indigenous people standing up to resource companies, and uh, they bring the full, the full special forces toolkit and little blue lives matter patches on their uniforms, just as an yeah. added fuck you. Yeah, there's not much difference between uh, a unit like that and you know a, a Blackwater squad sent to defend a Nigerian pipeline. You know, it's yeah. the only difference is that the in only true Canadian is, fashion, we pay for it with our tax dollars. Yeah, That's I was, the major I was difference. Say, yeah, yeah, we, yeah uh, I, I, I was, I was just about. It's, uh, it is as though like. Oh. It, it is it is as though one of these like yeah like tacked up um police departments that just has like an MRAP vehicle or whatever mm-hmm. just like is 
is given the sort of national remit of the FBI and has to like respond to anyone who's like you know, rude to the to rude about the Burger King. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And if and if, if these special units don't um, convince people to to stop defending their land, then this country will. Uh, bring in the army like they did with uh, mm-hmm. Oka, you know, or in the case of Gust for a fucking golf for a course, fucking golf course as well. Or in the case of Gustafson Lake, they'll uh, shoot you know thousands and thousands of rounds of ammunition and plant IEDs. Like, yeah, kill your dog. The yeah. Gustafson Lake uh, conflict is an interesting example. I think it's probably um, not familiar to most of your listeners, uh, but was. Uh, an incident where, again, the RCMP in British Columbia borrowed a bunch of armored personnel carriers and other weapons from the army on the request of uh, the uh, the NDP public safety minister at the time and used them against... Uh, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. NDP? I thought they were the left-wing party. I thought they were communists. That's right. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the New Democratic Party... Um, not so new anymore. I don't know. They've talked about a name change, but yeah, it's the orange team, the uh, the more progressive option. Um, and thanks to our uh, first past the post voting system, anytime you suggest that maybe they're uh, doing things bad or wrong, uh, they say, "Well, would you like to have the even worse people back?" Um, you know, a vote for a vote for the Greens or a vote for an independent candidate would just be you know reelecting the even more mask off. Uh, you know, corporate conservative psychopaths. So, yeah, uh, yeah the um, the Gustafson Lake arrests or the uh, the firefights and uh, bombings that happened uh, um, on Sequatmec territory in the 90s, as well as um, the last big round of arrests over old growth logging, which was, uh, you know, 1993 in Clackwatt Sound and the current standoff both over the Wet'suwet'en uh, defending their uh, their territory against the coastal gas link pipeline and these old growth logging battles, all of those have happened under NDP governments. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's um, it, it's it is you know again, it's if you're the government of BC and there is some logging that could happen that isn't happening, you're not doing your job. Doesn't matter what color tie you wear, basically. They always find a you know a way to um to justify this using the uh, the values of their sort of progressive supporters. And, um, you know, I think it's just gotten increasingly sickening over the years, but, you know, in the old days, logging was a big employer, right? And so it was, the, it was the pro worker uh, move, yeah. you know, it was the labor well, party. It was their job to get these hippies out of the way so that, uh, you know, the guys could fell the trees and feed their families and, you know, and my whole people town, could, uh, my whole town couch and lake voted NDP, you know, and these are, guys who work in the woods they're maybe not exactly rednecks um yeah they're like a labor class uh, of people and they all voted ndp which is kind of unthinkable today yeah that that was a major um political constituency for our labor party in in bc however what's made it awkward over the years is that automation and, and downsizing have um destroyed most of the employment in those sectors. And so, you know, like, uh, sawmills, uh, run with a fraction of the, of the crew that they used to. And so there's fewer and fewer people who actually make a living, um, in the natural resource industries in BC, but profits and production and exports are all up. And, you know, the corporations are making money hand over fist. So the NDP uses this rhetoric of being uh, sort of pro worker in order to build like the site sea dam, which would flood, yeah. 90 kilometers of uh of treaty 8 territory in northeastern bc you know total human rights violation the un high commissioner on human rights has told them to stop um this is the kind of uh project that they will use the jobs argument to to justify um but now it's i mean it's even it's even more sickening like the the premier of bc last week um, when he was asked about deferring old growth logging in fairy creek where these uh latest you know protests have been have been happening he said that it would be uh that deferring logging in fairy creek would be a return uh to the colonialism that we have uh so graphically been reminded of by the discovery of 215 children's bodies at our residential school site in kamloops in other words hi i have a a question yeah how 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 because the band council wants the logging to go ahead um and so if the province were to 
grant a deferral and save the trees, then, you know, they would be doing colonialism. Um, you know, that's what colonialism was all about. Colonialism is when you don't listen to an elected body. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. So since then, I mean, I don't, I don't know when this episode will come out, but the, um, you know, the, the nations whose territory that's on have actually um, revised their position and asked the province, in fact, to, uh, to defer logging in the Ferry Creek area um, because, uh, you know, the, the, the conflict isn't worth it, right? For the amount of money that they're actually getting per tree, um, they want the time and space to be able to put together their own resource management plan and they want the cops to stop arresting people and the hippies to fuck off in the meantime. And I think that's a fair request. Yeah, there was a coalition built, right, recently between um, three or four independent groups who have rights over that land. And yeah. Yeah. And so they said, after Horgan's comment about the residential schools, actually, we would like to defer uh, these lands from from logging and, um, and, and have the time and space to make our own plan. And that's something that I fully support. And I think that's, um, you know, for Horgan to, to, to use that, um, and try to compare it to, uh, you know, the residential schools, which I mean, schools is a misnomer. They were, they were death camps for kids. Um, you know, it's just fucking sickening. And that's, that's where we're at with, again, the progressive party, uh, that, uh, that runs British Columbia. And, and I would say, you know, they're very similar, um, in their in their political approach to the federal liberal party, which again has a has an even worse right wing party on their on their flank, so that they can threaten and bully voters in the progressive side of the spectrum into into voting for them over and over um, in order to uh, to keep the real baddies out of power. But we, the same shit happens either way. We keep running into yeah. this over and over and over again on this podcast. <laughs> this this <laughs> well, tactic. It's, it's, uh, it seems. Sorry. It seems like. You know, it's it's with all three parties, right? It's it's how do you want us to tell you we're going to do what we're going to do? Do you want us to do like a, a lib, like a low rent lib triggering troop thing? Um, do you want us to, um, you know, march in protest of what we're going to do, but then, but do, then it, do it anyway uh, with some kind of speech? <laughs> yeah. Or do you want to be told using some like graduate school words uh, that... You know this the bodies and spaces, uh, the bodies and spaces argument that demands that we build this open pit mine, basically. Which is again, if you if you think about like the actual history of these of these actual political um, organizations, what they were created to do, who who created them in what format, you're saying, well, it's colonial, it's colonialist to not listen to this political entity that we created for this purpose, because. Because the point of being a BC NDP uh, high-level uh, politician is apparently that you have um, either you, by sort of you've willed yourself into having memento disease, so you don't have to understand any of this. Look, man, these elderly uh, Wehrmacht veterans really want uh, this statue built, and uh, you're doing anti-multiculturalism if you don't uh, take Werner Braun Scheffelin's uh, <laughs> word for it. <laughs> that's right yeah there, there's got to be a, a feminist argument for um for building the memorial to the victims of communism i mean think of all the think of all the women right. who would be employed in scribing the individual bricks to anton yeah. pavlich or whoever yeah yeah well they <laughs> Ante, have a brick sorry. for yeah they, they have a brick for ante's daughter who uh, suffered greatly there you go yeah. there you go uh, yeah exactly and that's all you need to know really <laughs> Uh, but the other thing we talk about, sort of, you know, um, Ferry Creek, that ongoing sort of event, you know, that's I'd say that's not really been anything that hasn't received anything near the coverage that Coastal Gaslink received. Even though I think just last week there were like a hundred arrests in one day, one hundred and seventy arrests over uh, one hundred and seventy, yeah, over mm -hmm. I think a forty-eight hour period, which included like people being helicoptered out because um, a lot of the people protesting are hanging themselves in, you know, kind of like a coffin shaped uh, container or are, uh, I don't know, I read about uh, this pretty ingenious idea of like drilling through a log, putting your arms in it, filling it with cement <laughs> and then them having yep. to like deal with that, yeah. which is, I mean, respect, like uh, that's, that is commitment. Uh, so, so yeah, that's there dedication. Was, there were mass arrests uh, and and leading up to that, like yeah. like the Clayquot sound protests that were happening when I was a teenager, 
um, I didn't know this until doing research for this episode, but they were the biggest act of civil disobedience in Canadian history up until that point. Yes, and the largest mass arrest since my family was rounded up in 1942. Um, <laughs> I mean, everyone everyone tries yeah. to lay claim to largest mass arrest in uh, in, in BC history, but um, yeah. uh, Japanese Canadians, I think, I think Look, still hold the crown. Five five Italians were arrested in Vancouver in uh, oh the anti Italian racism. Yeah, I uh, I'm starting to really really worry about um, this rising tide of anti Italian racism. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Lord knows that uh, right. imprisoning five suspected fascists is uh, is equivalent um, to uh, to all of Canada's other horrible race crimes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's all everything is flat, and uh, history didn't happen. Effectively, is the I mean, it's that's generally the 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 um the tone that you see here in politics. Also, the tone tone you hear in the media. So, for example, when describing uh, the pipeline protests, uh, the pipeline land defense. Uh, the CBC's line was the following: "Chaos spreads." Oh God, mm-hmm. God, man, come on! <laughs> but the spread of anti-pipeline protests far beyond the BC interior, despite the position taken by the elected chiefs, despite the extensive consultations done by the company, is creating a chaotic situation. This week, demonstrators blocked access to the BC legislature and occupied the offices of federal politicians. Trains have halted on ver- at various points across the country, stranding passengers and cargo. Access to the ports on both coasts has been denied. Some of the demonstrators are indigenous, but many more are not. Even if their indiv- individual reasons for protesting differ, they all share one goal, killing this pipeline by pl- clogging other lines of transport. So it seems like, yeah, the, uh, the CBC's line here is um, a bunch of people who are weird and different from you Many of them, not even with what you sort of nice liberal would think of as legitimate reason to be doing this, um, are causing chaos to achieve a goal that actually they've already been asked about and their elected chiefs have already decided to do. Um, This is one of the... My jaw was on the floor when I read this paragraph. Well, the reason this works so well is because Canada is a country built on historical amnesia and nobody has the context right like you if you go to public school yeah. in this country um you're not taught the difference between traditional government and band councils or you know hereditary chiefs and elected councillors you're not taught about what crown land is crown land is and why it's there you're not even taught about residential schools if you're old enough that wasn't even part of the curriculum and so yeah um people have no context they've been imbibing this uh racist propaganda for most of their life about you know indigenous people um whatever not paying taxes um <laughs> and they uh are primed for for headlines like this um you know by 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 everything that they've seen and read over their lifetime so it's you know it's it's a project it's a multi-generational project uh settler colonialism is is not just like a a 19th century phenomenon right it it has taken on a new form and it requires a whole bunch of passive accomplices requires a whole bunch of people who benefit mm. from genocide um, and who, you know, at, at best are sort of uh, passive or disengaged and, and at worst are like actively, um, you know, joining uh, basically vigilante squads like uh, you saw in Edmonton during the, the shutdown Canada protests that you described. You know, uh, you had Ezra Levant from, from the rebel um, basically offering to pay for the lawyers yeah. of anybody who went and, and physically removed uh, barricades themselves. Um, and you have the Alberta government bringing in new legislation to not only criminalize anybody who targets uh, whatever they define as vital infrastructure, it could be a sidewalk, it could apply to people who are striking or picketing outside their own workplace. And Not and the conversely, Calgary sidewalks. Oh, everyone uses Calgary sidewalks so much. They're so popular yeah, and everyone loves yeah. them. It's so um, important. But, but Importantly, they've also opened the door uh, for basically vigilantism, for, for citizens' arrests and for people um, who want to defend the settler colonial state to go out there and do the cops' jobs for them. And that's, uh, you know, that's the groundwork that's being laid in Alberta because I think they know it's coming. I mean, I think they know yeah. that as things get fucking worse, people are going to see fewer and fewer options. And the only people who are standing up and pushing back um, are the indigenous people who you saw, you know, shutting down the Canadian economy with, I will add, not that many bodies, not that many people. 
right? That, that another hallmark of having a fake country is that you can, you can shut it down with like a hundred people. And that's what yeah. happened just before COVID. Um, and, you know, we saw that there weren't enough cops. There were so many blockades and protests happening uh, and they were, they were decentralized. They were organically organized. They were, you know, people in a group chat just deciding to go out and stand on the train tracks and mm. they ran out of cops. And so, um, you know, in anticipation of, of flashpoints like that in the future, you see conservative legislatures like in Alberta um, basically bringing in bills to um, make sure that anybody who does vigilantism in a situation like that won't face any any prosecution. So, yeah, it's um, it's pretty fucking grim. But I think the thing that keeps me inspired is uh, the people who are thinking completely outside of that system. And and that's where it comes back to Gixan and Wet'suwet'en territory, because the the... The amazing thing um, about that part of the world is that there are systems of government, languages, laws, and culture that long predate Canada and which are still around despite the potlatch ban, despite the residential schools and the attempted the attempted genocide. Um, you know, people have uh, maintained a system of governance uh, within their their family groups, um, and which gives them the authority to. Uh, make decisions over what happens on their land base. And that is just something that the Canadian state can't really wrap its head around, cannot comprehend. Um, but it is providing a really inspiring alternative um, to the system that we have grown up in. And I think that a lot of non-Indigenous people are 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 inspired by that and um, know that something needs to give. Otherwise, we're just going to, you know... Uh, <laughs> light the planet on fire and you know, we're all going to, we're all going to um, uh, suffer either way. Uh, and so, you know, why not um, see how much it takes to push over this rotten system and, and build something better. And so, I mean, that I have to say is, is the one thing that, um, that inspires me in the, in the face of uh, all of the, um, the sort of familiar cycles of political fuckery. And it sort of feels like we're trapped inside this, groundhog day sometimes when we talk about these issues but i really do think there's a critical mass of people that um are starting to recognize that that the entire system is is rotten and that um we need an alternative and there are there are um indigenous communities that are articulating that uh that better world hmm. and it, it's the it's now one of the things I think that is that has happened as as well right is as that better world is being articulated um, the sort of the great and the good of the Laurentian consensus have no response really other than just more RCMP tactical teams. Like they, they do not know how to answer this. Uh, they don't know how to answer a challenge to their sort of, again, not, not just to their sort of system of government, but to the law-breaking of their system of government, the treaty violation, the sort of um, charging through, let's say, ambiguity with a, uh, you know, uh, as you say, the legal billy club system. Yeah, massive paperwork. All they really have, oh. yeah. All that, like, 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 just all they really have is just this sort of um, blunt denial of the reality on the ground and appeals to the, uh, some a nebulous concept of rule of law. Mm-hmm. So I've got two two quotes here: uh, one from Trudeau and another one from Horgan. The one from Horgan's real fucking infuriating. So we'll start with that oh, one. Okay. <laughs> um, who said? Basically, and this was about the uh, Wet'suwet'en, uh, uh, sort of one of the, uh, the, the pipeline in the Wet'suwet'en territory, said, look, 150 years of colonization will not be eliminated by the passage of just one piece of provincial legislation. It will be eliminated by people of goodwill working together to ensure the prosperity we want for ourselves is shared by everybody. So what do you expect me to do? Pass a law about it? Why don't you guys all get together and be better friends? What do you expect me to uh, do? That way Call we can... off my dogs? Yeah, that, that won't change anything. I, I, I already called them on. There's, there's no off switch on these dogs. Yeah, I mean, it's like, look, that that's quite literally true. I mean, uh, I just want to point out that uh, the RCMP have been ordered to stop wearing their Blue Lives Matter patch on their uniforms uh, during enforcement operations at Ferry Creek. The individual officers are defying orders and continuing to wear what is a symbol. You could put words on that. What is that? When a division of your security forces refuses to stop wearing a special symbol of fraternity 
uh, while they're carrying out armed arrests of, of citizens yeah. and indigenous people. I mean, if that, only that, there was a me, historical precedent that we could look back at and compare this, uh, these developments to. Yeah, I, th- I think I know what you're talking about. It's uh, in the in the Great Crusade uh, where um, the Luna Wolves uh, started getting together in their warrior. Oh, sorry, that's Warhammer 40,000. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> also applicable. Uh, no, but but yeah. just just to say um, that, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's true that Horgan could uh, his public safety minister could uh, could call off these uh, these officers, but it's unclear whether they would listen. I mean. Um, yeah. you know, the RCMP commanders, they have, they have their own agendas and they are a very powerful, unelected, um, structure within our society as well, uh, with their own, their own history of, of law breaking and their own toxic internal culture. Um, and you know, they don't answer to the voters at all. And it's unclear some days whether they answer to the politicians that we elect to provide oversight. So really what you're saying is that John Organ is... And maybe in a way he doesn't mean to be not entirely full of shit here, because in order to and again, he does not mean to say this, yeah. that as much is clear, uh, but he doesn't mean that he's not sort of acknowledging that 150 years of colonization have created like, you know, brutal military and paramilitary organizations that really are no longer answerable to the political structures that are around them, because the political structures around them are really more for just like you know, jingling keys for people who live in Vancouver. Uh, what he thinks he's saying is that um, everyone needs to read uh, Robin D'Angelo mm-hmm. and then maybe this problem will just sort of go away. On its yeah. Um, if people just sort of link arms and, and uh, you know, read, uh, uh, what was it, White Fragility enough times, then yeah, yeah um, all our problems will be yeah, solved. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the other one I want to talk about, though, is uh, Trudeau says, we recognize the important democratic right and we will always defend peaceful protest. But we're also a country of the rule of law. And we need to make sure those laws are protected. That's why I'm encouraging all parties to dialogue to resolve this as quickly as possible. So the only thing they can really ask for, right, is, is and again, in a situation where I think there is kind of clear moral battle lines being drawn, not, not moral battle lines, literal battle lines that have been drawn, and where I think even... Uh, even across the country, you know, there is there is a sense that w- there is a, a broad sense among a big swath of the sort of liberal and NDP electorate that there is one party here that is in the right and that this is not going to be solved by dialogue. This is not a dialogue issue. This is an issue of this one that as, there, there is no compromise here. This one of the one of these parties, we all know which one it is, has to fuck off. So there's to go away. There's sort of three things that I would point out about the uh, the rule of law um, trope. One is that you know these laws were imposed. Um, mm-hmm. You know we're talking about territories where there are other older systems of law that predate Canadian law, um, some of which demand uh, that um, members protect their territories. Right? There's there's legal obligations that people face within their own cultures um, to be there and to. Uh, do what they can in order to uh, to sustain life in their territories for future generations. So, um, you know, I used to um, remember Heisla leader Gerald Amos saying, I'm, I'm not, this is not civil disobedience. I'm being civilly obedient to my own systems of law. Um, so number two, you know, laws are made by lawmakers and Trudeau or Horgan could pass bills that, for example, make it harder for companies to get injunctions against indigenous people. So when you say we're, we're a country of the rule of law, well, yeah, you, you are the fucking premier or the prime minister. Mm-hmm. You have a parliamentary majority. You can change those laws. Um, and the third thing that I would point out is that, you know, this is a country that has lost all moral authority to lecture other people about uh, laws or the rule of law, whether that's mm-hmm. uh, in the foreign policy realm or in our genocide against indigenous people or just the um, rampant corruption and law breaking that happens within our uh, political class and and our um, policing uh, institutions. So yeah, I don't want to hear about rule of law uh, ever again from mm. from elected Canadian mm-hmm. politicians. But unfortunately, as long as the National Post keeps publishing Rex Murphy, I will have to read that in a headline. <laughs> and I think you could even take it one step. You could even you could even I think add add a fourth point, right? Which is that if you look as we talked about earlier at the way that the law operates, the way it actually operates now 
is it, it, it is sort of very clearly broken, or at least it is not broken in it in in terms of its intention. It, the intention of the law is to provide a veneer of respectability for the extraction of resource of resource and material wealth. But there, the idea, any any the way the just the way in which it is applied to the people who are being asked to respect its rule is such that you could not possibly realistically um, uh, ask them to sort of look at this and say, well, this is fair. This is, a, this is a rule that I have reason to believe in, even if it's not found in favor of me this time, because it's like the, it's, it, it's, it's even more that, you know, the, the old, the old uh, quote, you know, America is free. America is so free that both billionaires and um, you know, the homeless both can sleep under a bridge. You know, they're both free to sleep under a bridge if they want. Um, right. And it, where it even goes beyond that, where um, we've said where there is basically a group that is actually being targeted yeah. by the by the rule of law, as, by, as you say, the legal billy club. So why would you respect the billy club? Well, there's you're being hit by there's it? very clearly two two systems of law in this country, um, you know, one that applies to indigenous people and, and one that applies to everybody else. And. This week, we saw the police officer who fatally shot and killed Chantelle Moore in New Brunswick. She's a, a New Chalmers, uh woman from, from Vancouver Island who uh, was killed on a wellness check in the early months of COVID, and he's not facing any charges. Um, you know, police routinely kill Indigenous people with impunity in this country and face no consequences. And it is very, very rare that a police officer is in any way held accountable uh, for killing any civilian. But when it's Indigenous people... Um, that the statistics are very clear. And so um, why would you respect a system of law that values some people's lives over others? Mm-hmm. And, and and even if you want to take it one step further, um, right, with if you look at sort of how CSIS has been um, has been acting in sort of the last in the last year or so, you know, when uh, they received a FOIA request um, about, um, you know, uh, about their sort of their work regarding um you know this these sort of goings on they refused it on the basis that um disclosing that information would be prejudicial to their um uh stated mission of quote detecting preventing or suppressing suppressing subversive or hostile activities <laughs> which i think actually says quite plainly more plainly than any politician what the actual relationship between the state of canada and these people are which is that um, Canada is Canada sees any indigenous people that don't play along with its vision of what they should be as subversive, hostile enemies, enemies of the rule of law, and basically foreign. Which again is like, yeah, if you haven't like don't have a treaty on this land, no, your law doesn't apply here. You know, this is in in, in effect, it is it is another place, and it is ceases that sort of sees that sort of most plainly. It's just that they see it most plainly from the from the side of the intelligence service yeah. if you get yeah, my yeah. meaning well, right i mean i think it's pretty clear that like i i mean the function of canada's intelligence service like its main focus before 9-11 was eco-terrorism which was you know in british columbia where i grew up was kind of coded uh or at least i read it as coded because all of the eco-terrorism that they were defining seemed to involve people defending indigenous land and the extraction of resources from that land. And I do, and I've been thinking about this a lot, like, like, up, like in the lead up to, you know, talking to you, Kai, but, but I was thinking about being involved as an activist, as, as a teenager in British Columbia and being very aware of, uh, CSIS surveilling groups, both indigenous groups and, uh, non-indigenous indigenous groups that were liaisoning with, um, the indigenous community, you know, there were, mm-hmm. there was intelligence penetration in those groups yeah, and, that, and, and, you know, that, that sort of wa- wave of terrorism after, or wave of like focus on international terrorism after nine eleven was just a, you know, it was just a blip, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, meanwhile, uh, when, who bombed the last pipeline that was bombed in BC, it was the RCMP. So, yeah, um, that's you right. know, the, it's this weird projection where, yeah, uh, their focus on 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 ecoterrorism. You know, we had to bomb the village to save the village. We had to blow up a pipeline in order to save the pipeline from the ecoterrorists. 
Um, and you know, that was the last time anybody engaged in, uh, you know, explosive vandalism against uh, natural gas infrastructure in British Columbia. So they've been using the sort of specter of like, you know, um, some sort of violent insurgency or eco-terrorism for decades uh, in order to justify spending unknown amounts of money on some very creepy technology and, and surveillance techniques. Um, when, yeah, I mean, the only, the only pipeline that's been bombed in, in my lifetime in BC was done by uh, undercover RCMP officers. I, I think that that sort of puts a button on, uh, on sort of our conversation for, for today. Uh, so uh, in conclusion, uh, Canada bad, mainly. <laughs> once again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Once again, uh, Canada, once you again. are the Bottleman donkey of the week, yes. <laughs> along with uh, the I'm, uh, Edgerton Ryerson. I'm detecting a theme here. I was hoping there'd be sort of like a character arc, like a sort of redemptive, um, you know, narrative for the Canada character in this show. But so far, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 it's not happening. Um, I, no. I will continue to look I, for for redemptive examples of how great Canada is, but um, I'm, I'm coming up short. Well, when we... Uh, Look, I'm pretty... I was told in high school that Lester B. Pearson invented uh, peacekeeping. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure there's no more to that story. Yeah, I think uh, we could... Uh, in, in summary, in summary, Lester B. Pearson invented peacekeeping and um, yeah. um, we all love maple glazed donuts and... Uh, and Brent And Rex yeah. Murphy columns. Yeah. Yep, and uh, we're, and we're all just going to be uh, listening to um, we're all going to be listening to the fabulous music that's uh, pre- being given globally recognized awards at the Junos. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's the main thing about Canada. Don't look at any of the other yeah. stuff. I, I do have something sincere to say in conclusion, yes, which is please. just that yeah. um, you know I think that uh, this country's response to uh, the uncovering of of this mass grave in Kamloops has really revealed just how hollow. Uh, our culture is and and um, you know just how lacking uh, Canada is in in being able to process and deal with uh, what has been revealed I mean this is uh, this is an an inarguable act of genocide it is a, a crime scene um, and our response is to uh, lower some flags for a little while and uh, and then just try to move on and I think that, um, this is the tip of the iceberg that we're going to see um, more sites in more places across Canada over the months to come that will make it harder and harder to argue, um, you know, that this country is not engaged in uh, 150 years of genocide, uh, which is ongoing and which continues to affect Indigenous communities today. And so I, I will say that um, the people who have... Um, done the best job, I think, in terms of really, really coming to terms with uh, the scale of what has been uncovered um, and providing a path uh, forward to process this information are Indigenous communities. I mean, people who have an actual culture, who have, um, who have ceremony and have protocols around grief and death and loss. And, you know, we could really, I think, take a page uh, from uh, the indigenous communities around Canada and across the across the country, um, in terms of uh, what meaning to make of this horrifying event and what the paths what the path looks like in front of us. And I will just say that um, the the one other thing I would I would end on is uh, the young man you mentioned who was you know very nearly a victim of this genocidal machine himself uh, on the on Wet'suwet'en territory. You talked about Denzel Sutherland Wilson, who was um, standing in front of a, an RCMP officer pointing a sniper rifle at him. He and his family are building something pretty remarkable uh, on their own territory um, in Gixan country in northwest BC. They're, they're neighbors and ancient allies of the Wet'suwet'en. And, uh, you know, Denzel's house group is building a village off the reserve where they can get their elders, who are all residential school survivors, and their youth. Uh, away from the reserve and back onto their territory in order to strengthen and rebuild their culture and their system of governance. And, you know, right now that's under threat. The BC government has designs on uh, old growth cedar um, that, that is on the same land and they want to clear cut it and have been uh, encouraging the, 
local timber company to get an injunction against the house group in order to be able to send in the RCMP there as well. And so I would just really encourage people who are looking for inspiring examples of, of pushback um, and, and alternate uh, futures to imagine uh, to check out the Get Lutham Hetwit uh, house group in Gixan territory. Perhaps we can post the links to a couple of uh, mm-hmm. their, uh, yeah, their social will, media sure. accounts yeah, here. But um, yeah, if you want to, if you want to sort of think through what, uh, what an alternative to the rotten contemporary state we call Canada uh, might look like, I would start with people like Denzel who have seen uh, the pointy end of Canadian colonialism and are are dedicating themselves to building something better. Perfect. Well, I I would say um, if in, in the notes to this episode, you will see some links. Uh, I would say follow those links um, and certainly like, uh, you know, get... I, 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 Anything is better than this, and that seems much better. Yeah, we don't usually end on positive notes on the bottleman, so this is thank <laughs> thank you, Kai, for uh, you know providing that balance. Well, thanks for thanks for having me on, and and thank you for um for shining a spotlight for people across Canada and and outside of uh, Canada on uh, the unique and strange place known as British Columbia. Um, and I'm happy to happy to be your tour guide, despite being neither British nor <laughs> Colombian. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, to all the Americans in our audience, uh, I mean, that's that. that wel- welcome to Canada, the real thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Kai, I want to thank you very much for coming on and hanging out with us today. Uh, and you, the listener, thank you for listening to us today. Uh, don't forget, also, we have a Patreon, seven bucks a month, second episode a week. You know the deal. For all you Americans out there, that is seven Canadian dollars. So, however many of your real money that is, uh, that is connected to an actual central bank that, you know, actually, you know, is able to achieve policy goals and isn't just chasing lumber prices. Um, so anyway, uh, do check that out and we will see you on the bonus episode in a couple of days. Bye everyone. Bye folks. Bye.